0: Welcome to Social Anxiety Solutions, your journey to social confidence. Each week I interview an expert to explore different social anxiety solutions from both Western traditional psychology as well as Eastern energy psychology. Each week we'll put new tools into your toolkit to enhance your social confidence. Today Phil Parker and I will be discussing worrying and worst case scenario thinking. Here's a bit about Phil. Phil's a master trainer of NLP. He's an expert in the psychology of health, happiness, and genius. He's a Hay House author, a PhD researcher, and the designer of the lightning process. Phil, thank you very much for being on the show with us.
1: Hi, Sebastian. Lovely to be here.
0: Hmm. Before we actually get to know you a little bit, can you share quickly um, what NLP is?
1: Yeah, sure. So, NLP has been around since the 1970s, it was invented in California. And the reason it was invented, well, first of all, maybe the the words NLP, N for neuro, L for linguistic, and P for programming. And I'll tell you why those words are chosen and what they mean. But uh, it was invented by two guys, one who was a professor of linguistics uh, and another guy who was a computer software guy with an interest in psychology. And what they were really intrigued by was therapy. So there was a big boom in therapy in California in the 70s. And what you find is you go and listen to these uh, amazing therapists like uh, Fritz Perls, who started Gestalt therapy, or Virginia Satir, who started family therapy. You know, really major guys. Uh, And Milton Erickson, very, very famous uh, hypnotherapist and psychiatrist. And you'd watch these guys working and you go, that's amazing. And they do this magical work and people's lives would be transformed. And then if you're a practitioner, you'd watch this and you'd go home and you wouldn't be able to... reproduce any bit whatsoever because what you'd seen them do was a bit of brilliant magic with an individual and no matter how good the notes were you took, unless you saw exactly the same client, you didn't really know what to do. So so what they were intrigued by was what makes good therapy work because a lot of therapy doesn't work a lot of the time. What makes good therapists why do they ask that question in that moment? Why do they do that intervention when there's so many things you could do? And that's where NLP began. It was a modelling project looking at what is similar about these great people? How, how come they make change seem to happen magically with their clients? What do they do? They do very different things. Um, but what, what are they doing that's similar? And they started this modeling project looking at why did they intervene? Why did they ask particular questions? What kind of language did they use? To try and understand what makes good therapy good. And they came up with this model called the, the, um, the meta model, which is a, basically a model of models of how people who are good at therapy get good results. The idea being that, that therapy would become less of a lottery, that you know who you saw um, at, at that stage was it could work, it may not work, it took, could take years. Um, how could we refine that to work out, work out what makes a difference so that everybody who's a therapist has access to these tools? So coming back to what NLP stands for, the N and the L and the P, neuro means how your brain works, how, how, how your neurology functions. L for linguistics, which is how our words, the words we use, the questions we ask ourselves, the questions we ask other people, conversations we have in our heads, conversations we have with other people, how that affects our neurology. And finally, P for programming. And the word programming really comes because uh, Richard Bandler was, was a computer programmer and he was interested in, how is the, the human similar to to a computer processor? How do we process information? But but we notice programs in ourselves, don't we? When we find ourselves, how many times have you had one of those situations where you 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 have an argument with somebody, and you think, "Oh God, I wish." Afterwards, you think, "I wish I hadn't said that." You know, why did I say that that way, or why did I go into that situation already being prepared to be scared? You know, we, it's almost like we're running these programs, we're running these patterns. We don't wish to. We often know that we are, but we have no idea how to change them. Uh, so NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming. How can we use our language, our neurology, to change some of the crappy patterns that we've got into and start to think differently, act differently, and to have those become our new pathways, our new programming? What's really interesting about NLP, so it's been around since 1970, it's been through some ups and downs because it was really, really successful. And then people started to look at, well, what else could we Apply this to, and they started to apply it to things like sales, and so NLP got a reputation in the 80s as being a bit of a selling tool. How can you sell to people? Um, but that's really because it's a very powerful thing. When anything that's powerful, some people take it and use it in particular ways that maybe weren't its original design. But but the origins of NLP are very much about how do you make people, how do you understand the structure of happiness, the structure of success, the structure of Uh, relaxation so you could teach it to somebody else it's all about understanding and training people to learn from people already really good at something and go right how can we teach that to somebody else how can we make this not magical how can we make this really simple and what's fascinating now is there's a a relatively new field in, in psychology called positive psychology which has got a lot of very similar ideas to NLP which so I don't know if you know this but in I think it was the 1990s uh, this guy called Marty Seligman, who was chairman of the uh, American Psychiatric Association, sorry, psychology association uh, he said "Look I've just noticed we spent so much time looking at problems. we look at depression, we look at bipolar, we look at anxiety. we don't spend any time looking at happiness we don't look at, spend any time looking at how people relate to each other we don't you know so they start to move in this this interesting direction of what makes." for a, a great life rather than dealing with all the crap you know you need to look at that as well but but we need to know more about what makes people happy successful fulfilled and all those kind of things and we need to do some science around it and the science they've done, done a lot of a lot of neuro, neurological research into you know brain scans and rats brains and all this kind of stuff and what they're finding is a lot of the the things that NLP talked about seem to be been confirmed by science now. Really, really interesting time for us that uh, we're moving away from, you know, if you look at 110, 15 years ago, which is kind of the birth of psychology and psychotherapy with Freud and his, you know, very particular ideas, which mostly have been left behind now, even in uh, academic institutions. So they don't talk about Freud very much or Jung. And much more into how do we actually, how do we understand how people can make change quickly and make it as quickly as possible and successful as possible. So we're in a really interesting, interesting place at the moment. And the stuff you're talking about, EFT, which I have you know, trained in in the past, is also very interesting. Another kind of another view on how we can help people to make change. Because the thing we know about mental health, you know, mental well-being, is that most of the solutions that are currently out there, devised by science, don't work very well.
0: Mm. I, I, uh, I like your passion for NLP, and I think that's a very, uh, very clear description of what it is. Um, when, when I did my NLP training, I did it in South Africa, actually. Uh, for one, the training was fun, and I saw people transform in front of my eyes. And What I really liked about it was um, it was so goal-oriented. It's like, okay, you have a problem and you have an outcome, and we're gonna use these techniques that have been proven to work to get you to that outcome as fast as possible. And uh, yeah, that really spoke to me about NLP. And uh, Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing well, stuff.
1: The yeah. other thing that NLP does, because NLP and CBT, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is kind of the, uh, the most popular version of, of psychotherapy at the moment, is that they have some similarity, but where they really differ is that CBT comes very much from a research base, which says, this is what we generally find helps. And then they apply that general principle to individuals, which is okay, except they also know, the research says, that only 50% of people respond to CBT. So, you know, you've got a one in two chance of getting any results. Right. What NLP does, instead it says... Okay, well these are general ideas, but what's really important is who is in front of me right now. What do we need to do for this individual? Right. You know, we don't need to follow a formula. We need to kind of be a, be aware of how they're responding to what we do and fine tune it until we can get the results that we want and keep on in that in that interesting loop of I've done that, that worked, it didn't quite work as I wanted to, then we need to change it this way so it's constantly evolving based on what is happening in this session, not what generally works for people, but what's going to work for this person in front of me right now.
0: Right. Right. So if someone is listening to this and they've tried like, uh, some CBT, uh, approaches and they learned how to change their thoughts and, you know, make a hierarchy and, you know, they've, they've tried some meditation and you know, they've, they've, you know, faced some of their fears and they're like hey it's not working well this is the one and only scientifically proven to be recommended solution for me so i'm i'm screwed yeah yeah Yeah. it's the problem
1: the problem is we have to remember that although that's true that cbt is the most scientifically validated therapy we need to look a little bit deep and go, why is that? And the reason is, it's the only one that's been looked at. There's virtually no research into NLP. There's, there's very, very little research into EFT. There's very little research into anything that hasn't been built within the academic or medical institutions. You know, if it's not invented here, they don't do research on it. And the reason is, it's, it's, it's more complicated than people might imagine. You would imagine, you know, science, which is the kind of new god, the new religion, everything <laughs> is measured in science, is all fair and accurate. Well, it's not, because if you want to do science, you need to get a grant. So if you want to do some research, and I know this from personal experience, I'm doing research at the moment, you've got to get a grant, you've got to get funding. Who's going to fund stuff? Well, you know, you have to have a, a research guy who's going to lead it. His career will be based on whether he did good, good research. You know, so his next grant application will, will depend on what his last one was. If he does something kind of crazy like EFT or even NLP or hypnosis, he'll get known as the EFT guy. Mm. And if the results are good, let's say he gets great results with social anxiety with EFT, will everybody in the field jump up and go, fantastic news? Or will they go, hmm, okay, well, that's interesting. Or they might go, ooh, but... If that works, what will happen to all the stuff we've been doing that we've been training for years? You know, you don't really want, you know, the competitors to be getting, you know, good results better than you. So there's all that stuff because we're not dealing with scientists, we're dealing with humans. There are all sorts of other factors that are running. So, you know, although CBT, which has its place and is good for some things, uh, has good research, we need to actually put that into a broader perspective and go, what does that mean? You know, There's an interesting thing in the UK, they have something called NICE Guidance, which is National Institute of Clinical Excellence. So things that have been shown with research to be good are adopted and then then paid for by the the government's uh, health system. So CBT is one of those things. Um, But even in the NICE Guidelines, it says just because there isn't any evidence for something, so there isn't any research, it doesn't mean to say it's bad. It just means... We haven't got any evidence. We can't make a judgment on it. Mm. And, and most of these things out there, you know, there isn't any evidence because they're not built within an academic system. And so no research has been done on it. But that's all we can say. We can only say no research has been done. We can't say, and therefore it's shit or it's rubbish or it's fraud. Which you can just say, as a real scientist, the real scientific perspective is to say we can't have a judgment on it.
0: Mm. You know, and, and no and- more. Exactly, and when you're doing things that are not working, this is one of the uh, principles of uh, NLP as well. You try a different approach, and you keep going, and you keep going, and you keep going, you keep going until you find something that does work. So, if CBT is not working for you, try NLP, you know, and yeah. find f- you know, or, or something else. There are many different ways that lead to Rome, but uh, you know, you want to you know, expand your horizon, if you will. All yeah. right, good. So. Let's, um, let's continue this conversation and move on to the inspiration round. Oh.
1: There we are.
0: <laughs> I like it. That's, that's going to be in there for sure. All right, good. The mistake at the beginning. Hey, but that's rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, Phil, for um, people overcoming their social anxiety, it can be quite a struggle, and especially if you're using approaches that don't work, you can go in circles for a long time, (laughs) and that's why we do this inspiration round each week. So, we want to hear some more wisdom, and also learn a bit more about you and your work. So, have you worked... uh, mm. So... (laughs) That's a fun anchor now. so uh, phil have you suffered from social anxiety yourself at some point in your life
1: i read that question because you sent the questions before and i thought that's interesting
0: yes i think most people
1: have um um you know the majority of people when you go to a new school or you go to a, a disco or a dance or you try and go on a date you know we have all the all the symptomatology social anxiety. The question is how long it lasts and how often that exhibits. But I think with all these things that these are normal experiences. Mm. The question is when they become kind of unmanaged, you know, or they, they flow out. So yeah, I would say definitely. I mean, certainly it was a period of time in my life when I was mm. uh, when I was, about, I was about 17, 18 I think, and I went to a college, a new college, and I really loved it. Um, uh, and I look forward to seeing my friends, but every morning I would be in the toilet for almost an hour, you know, constantly going to the loo and then thinking, oh, oh no, I need to go to the loo again. And I thought maybe I've got a bug, you know, went to the doctor, I got some pills, nothing seemed to clear it. And now, you know, a few years later, I realized that was some kind of anxiety pattern going on, you know, physically affecting my gut. There was nothing physically wrong with my gut. but, But every morning between, you know, eight and nine, I was in the toilet and for the rest of the day, I was fine. You know, and that's a classic symptom of social anxiety. But what was interesting was I wasn't worried as far as I knew. There was nothing I was worried about, about going to to the college to meet my friends. I looked forward to it. But what happened was after it happened a few days, guess what happened every morning when I woke up? It was like, oh, God, is, it, is my stomach going to be in knots again? And
0: yeah, your excitation, yeah.
1: Yeah. Didn't happen on the weekends. You know, it was like something's going on here, Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I've had that. Um, and I think, as I say, I think everybody's had something like this, you know, some place where they go to a situation and they're just not being, being the, the best them that they could be.
0: Mm. Mm. And, and did you work with any people with
1: social anxiety? Yeah, it's very common. I see a lot of it. Okay. Yeah, I see a lot of it. Um, so I work, my, my kind of work is particularly with people who are very stuck. So I see people who nobody else has been able to help. And that's kind of a, a lot of my client demographic. Um, and that includes, I mean, fascinatingly, it includes some major rock stars and movie stars who you just would not imagine would have social anxiety or wouldn't have any anxiety. So I see a lot of people who are you know, major, major, major megastars who every time they go onto stage, they think, I'm, I can't do this. I'm no good. I'm rubbish. It's going to be a disaster. And you think, well, you've been doing this for 25 years. You know, <laughs> there's lots of evidence that tells you that's not true. But somehow our little brain gets into very interesting conversations that become very, very powerful or disempowering. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I've seen lots of people. I remember somebody came to see me and she was a classic uh, anxiety. Um, and, and her thing was, it wasn't so much social anxiety, but, but anxiety about everything. And mainly what she did, when, and this is what we did with, with the lightning process and NLP, was kind of go, well, what is going on here? How, how is this happening? And what she did, and, and I've written a book about this, which kind of highlights what seems to be the common patterns of anybody with anxiety or depression or you know, these kind of things. What she did was every morning when she woke up, she would think about all the things that could possibly go wrong. That would be her first thought, right? So she had three kids, so that was that gave her plenty to think about. Right? <laughs> this kid could do that, that kid could do that, that could do that. Uh, and then a car could break down, and then you know, so a whole range of catastrophe kind of thinking. And then what she would do would be think about solutions, right? Okay, so uh, my daughter's going to school, she could get run over by a bus. Okay, so the solution then is to go with her, yeah to make sure she's safe. I drive her in the car. Um, But then, you know, uh, my dog needs to go, you know, and and then there'd be another problem. And then what she'd try and do is try and create some kind of structure of solution for all these different problems. And then she'd go, yeah, but this might not work. You know, what happens if this happens? What happens if I take my daughter to school in the car and the car explodes or breaks down? And then so I had to take a phone. What if that phone dies? Well I'll take two phones. No, so she so she managed her incredible level of anxiety by I mean, just even talking about it is making me feel quite stressed, you know. It's like doing all that would take so much brain power and so much planning. Absolutely exhausted, completely living on a nerves all the time. So that's how she came to me. And actually it was so bad it got her ill, you know, because you can't manage that for too long. So the problem was she was massively constructing concerned about stuff, which are, you know, relatively reasonable concerns, the kind of concerns anybody could have, but dealing with them in a way which was, right, these could happen, how can I manage them? And, and, and trying to control the universe. Uh, and what we did was taught not to do any of those things. We taught to actually recognise that you can't, you can't do that. You can't, a, you can't survive doing that. And B, you can't cater for every possible situation. You can't have a solution for it. Actually, what's most useful is for you to find a place where you're taking reasonable care. You know you're doing the things. You're not standing in a bucket of water. You know with an electrical cable. You're not doing stuff like that. But you're you're recognising actually people can take care of themselves. It's not your job to do that. It's going to be okay. And putting yourself in a place where you can trust yourself that things will work out. That you will be competent and confident to find solutions. So uh, what we did was we, we taught her using the lightning process how to change those ways of thinking. She came back the next day and she was like, you know, it's been amazing because you know, it's run over three days. So absolutely transformed. I woke up this morning. I didn't do any of those things. You know, I normally I would check my face in the mirror make sure my hair was perfect. I had to pack my suitcase. I'd make sure I'd pack it four times, you know, try and get everything right. So I didn't do any of that. Just slapped some lipstick on, you know, went down to breakfast. and I had like an extra hour of my life. You know, because they didn't have to do all these things like that I normally do. And then we got on the bus to come to see you, and the bus broke down. And I thought, I oh, will you know, whereas normally it would be, you know, a disaster. Oh, my God, it's all ruined. You know, what are we going to do now? And she was just able to, to cruise through and flow through the stuff of life. Nothing was different in her life. The same kind of crappy events or good events happened, But what was different was she was able to sail through it in a completely different way that, that not only made life easier, but also gave her a sense of, well, if I can deal with that, I can deal with whatever else comes up. And suddenly you're moving from a place where you feel like there's nothing you can do, you know, it's all happening to you, to a place where you think, you know what, I'm, I can cope with this, I can deal with this in a, in a positive and proactive way.
0: So not only her problem was resolved, but she also gained uh, some confidence uh, in her abilities sure. and, uh, yeah.
1: And, and then her uh, health problems disappeared. You know, and they were quite serious health problems. Because your body can't sustain long-term stress. The whole point of stress is for when we're dealing with, you know, wild animals. That's 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 what we, that's one of our big problems. Is we have a physiology that's wired to us being in the wild. Yeah. You know? So we wake up in the morning. So, for instance, I don't know if you know this, but just before we wake up, our cortisol levels naturally increase. Okay. So cortisol is one of the stress hormones. One of the things that people often will say is, I feel so anxious in the morning when I wake up. Yeah, it's a very common thing. I wake up with crazy thoughts. Or with me when I was getting up in the morning before school, before college, that's when I got my symptoms. And that's not unfamiliar. And the reason we have cortisol high in our systems in the morning is if we're in the wild, we want to wake up like a meerkat you know, and be ready. You know, Watch out what's going on. If there's a tiger, we want to know where he is. So it's designed to wake us up quickly. But, yeah, this whole body physiological response is in case we come across a dangerous beast it 's so we can run away or fight it that's that 's what it does. It produces adrenaline, cortisol gets our muscles our nervous system ready to go. problem is we have now is that we if we fight a tiger, we would have to be very physical, but also the thing would be over in fifteen twenty seconds. you know either we would have escaped or would be lunch <laughs> those are our two options, yeah. So we have these hormones that kick in, massive hormones, but they're only designed for short-term triggering. But if we look at the kind of stressors that we have in our lives, we have mortgages, we have degree courses, we have relationships. Now even, you know, uh, going to the movie and seeing a film of peril, you know, it's, it's not 15 seconds, it's an hour. So we're constantly being exposed to long-term triggers of stress. Um, you know, and, and social anxiety is a great example because there's always people around. There's always things to go. And when you don't see those people, you get stressed about the fact you're not seeing them. And what if I do? You can spend a whole lifetime triggering. Gener- I mean, one of the big problems we have is we have the best movie theater in the world in between our ears. We can create you know, this incredible version of reality. Mm. We can be sitting at home worrying about what's going to happen later on and be completely immersed in that experience as if it was really happening. And our body can't distinguish between our thoughts, you know, our our imagination and real experience. So when we have these very powerful imagined fears about the future, then they generate exactly the same kind of stress response as if we were in that that stressful situation. So there's a lot of stuff going on that we need to manage properly because our bodies are are set in this way and we need to find a way to switch that off, calm that down. Mm.
0: Did you work with uh, with someone who, you know, was using their 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 beautiful uh, inside cinema, if you will, to make up all sorts of uh, worst case scenario and was worrying excessively and you know, how, you know, when you've worked with someone like that and they, they make that transformation, what happens after them? Uh, what what happens after that? What happens to their lives?
1: Well, basically, if you do the work well. You know, so you actually train them not just to resolve their fear of dentists or spiders, but, you know, really get them to be a calm, competent, relaxed person who can deal with anything, then their life does change. You know, they just are able to move through life in a completely different way. And what's interesting, you get into these vicious circles. So panic attacks are a really good example of a vicious circle. If anybody listening has ever had them, you know what this is like. You know, you get a symptom like your heart beats fast or you feel your head's going woozy or something as soon as you think that it makes you stressed that's normal you're like what's this what the hell's going on but the stress of the symptom increases the hormones which increases the symptoms so the more you notice your heart the faster it beats and the more fast it beats the more you think you're going to die what's interesting is that when you break those cycles they don't work anymore so if you kind of go oh okay wait a minute that's just my heart beating isn't it and then you calm it down, you know, which is very easy to do. And I'll tell you a little, some t- t- tips and tricks on how to do that in a minute. But if you can calm it down, then suddenly you go, oh, hold on a minute, I've calmed it down. Oh, brilliant. Now, who's who's in charge? Well, you're back in charge. You're back in a sense of, well, I can change this. This doesn't. This isn't a ghost that wants me anymore. This isn't a monster or a specter. This is something that I can be anytime I want. And as soon as you learn that, you're free from it because it doesn't have the power. The power it has is the fact you think, oh, there's nothing I can do about it. So I'm sitting there on the toilet in the morning going, I can't even, every time I stand up, I feel like I need to go to the loo again. What, what is going on? And of course, that makes me more stressed. Yeah. If I can actually find a way to go, oh, okay, now I can deal with this, then it doesn't have that power anymore. One of the, one of the commonest fears people have in uh, in social situations is a fear of embarrassing themselves in some way, you know, like uh, blushing, crying, vomiting, being sick, pooing themselves, whatever it is. In London, one of the the phobias we work with a lot is tube trains, you know, people fearing being on underground trains. And it's usually not claustrophobia. It's usually their biggest fear is what if I, in front of all these people, you know, suddenly need to go to the loo and I can't and wet myself. You know that is actually one yeah, of the biggest no fears. No in
0: that uh, train. Yeah, right? no in the trains. Yeah. And
1: so, like we go, what well, if we just get stuck in the tunnel? And then I'm standing in front, and, and, and I'm not going to talk about this too much because some of your listeners will listen me, we'll start generating this yeah, imagery. But, right. but what's it's really interesting that that's one of our biggest fears that we'll somehow deeply, deeply embarrass ourselves, and that would be the worst thing ever. Mm. So yeah. learning to switch that off is like having a, a, a release from prison. You know, suddenly you're free to be different, and you can go anywhere and do whatever you want. Mm.
0: You, you you gain control by having a strategy to 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 you know uh, counteract what's coming up for you. That's uh, that's. And once you
1: have a strategy that works, you don't need to use it anymore because the whole thing only runs with the fear that you can control it. Once you realise that I can sort this out, I can switch this on or off, mm. it becomes a non-issue. Mm. If people drive cars, it's very similar. When you first learn to drive a car. You're thinking, how will I ever, you know, manage all these, you know, pedals and indicators and windscreen wipers and changing gear and all that kind of stuff. Once you get familiar with driving and it's easy for you, you don't have any of those conversations. It's not like you have to stop those conversations. So if you've been driving for five years, when you go to your car, you just get in your car and put the radio on or the CD on. You know, you don't go, oh, I just have to remember to calm myself down before I get into the car because that's all done. It's, It's no longer an issue for you anymore. And that's really where you get to, where your brain is already expecting things to just be
0: fine. Mm-hmm. Very empowering. Um, on that note, so uh, we, we spoke about it a bit already, and it's kind of interwoven in just about anything we've been talking about so far. But. Um, if people are listening to this and they've tried a bunch of things and they they're you know they're worried they you know that they might hear this and they're like yeah yeah right well it sounds so simple but I've tried this and I've tried that and I've tried everything and nothing works for me uh, what what would you say to someone like that who's who's lost all hope?
1: Um. Well, what are you going to do? You know, because it, it, if you sit in that place, which is completely reasonable, then your future is planned out as being pretty crappy. And you deserve better than that. And there are solutions out there. Pe- people often, uh, you know, as I say, I work with a lot of people who've had long-term stuckness, tried everything, nothing's worked. Um, and particularly with the lightning process, people come to see us with that. And the the thing they often say is, I've tried everything. And I normally say to them, have you tried the lightning process? And they go, no, that's why I'm ringing you. It's like, well, then have you tried everything? And they go, well, <laughs> right. yeah. and, and you haven 't nobody 's tried everything you know exactly, so there's always more stuff out there right um you don't want to be you know spending your money on on stuff that doesn't appear to have much of a track record, but you know there there, there is some great stuff out there, mm. and it's about finding it um e f t is great um I'm an osteopath. Osteopathy can be really useful. Uh, Alexander technique, yoga, meditation, mindfulness. The lightning process is fantastic for anxiety. Um, NLP is really, really good. Hypnosis can be good. There's there's so much stuff out there. And, you know, do the, you know, I, I wouldn't even recommend to people do the straight stuff first. I would say do the slightly left field stuff. It tends to be better. A good example is phobias. If you do phobia cures using the CBT methodology, they reckon you know, they can get quite good success of you being feeling more comfortable with these things within, a you know, say, a 12-week program, 6 to 12 weeks. With NLP, you're looking at half an hour. You know? With EFT, you're looking at possibly even less than half an hour in some cases. So why do something that takes a long time when you can get exactly the same results doing something that's quick and effective? You know? And the reason why, you know, why are those things, EFT and NLP, not delivered uh, in, in the UK, at least, on the NHS uh, or not generally provided by insurers is because there's no research. And that comes back to that original conversation we had about why it's no research. Right. Not because it's not good, but because nobody's done the research on it. Mm.
0: Yeah. L- long and short is uh, be open-minded, keep trying, and uh, you know, eventually, eventually you'll, you'll hit gold. Persistence yeah. is, is, is really I mean, key. And,
1: yeah. The thing we know is whatever your situation is, there is somebody else who's had that and got over it. For certain. I mean, I have seen thousands of people with anxiety, social anxiety, generalised anxiety, a million shapes and forms of anxiety, panic attacks, stress, whatever you want to call it. I've seen so many, so many people, young and old, big and small, black, white, you know, whatever, that I can be pretty certain that if you've got anxiety, we've seen someone who is your, your twin, who's <laughs> you know, had the same thing. And they've got rid of it because we've seen that many people. You know, we've seen 9,000 people over the last five years, for instance. Mm, you know, wow. Huge amounts of people across the world. And they do, and they make change. And the other thing that's really interesting is when you look at people with anxiety is you can pinpoint what's exactly the same about them. There's differences. You know, they're all different people. But the way they make anxiety work, for instance, let me give you, uh, give you an example, um, if you have anxiety, when you think about a forthcoming event, are you going to be thinking about it in a happy, positive way or in a slightly nervous and anxious way? Well, clearly, it's going to be the second. Yeah. If you're thinking about it in a happy and positive and confident way, you wouldn't have anxiety. And this is one of the things that's very interesting from NLP and the lightning process is we've what, what we've done is we've looked at people with anxiety and we said an interesting thing to them, which is, don't know if you've ever thought about it, but you are a genius at anxiety. You're amazing. If there was an Olympic sport for anxiety, you know, you'd probably be in the team. Yeah? And that doesn't happen by chance. That happens because genius has a structure behind it. And one of the things I spent a long, long time researching is talking to thousands of people with anxiety and saying an interesting but strange question, which is, how do you do that? How, how, do you, how have you made this into this disaster movie? What's happening? When, once they've stopped hitting you for asking such an unreasonable question, you find out there are real, real similarities between people who have anxiety. And that brings me on to something I want to talk about. Um, one of the things that I've had to invent in, in this journey that I've been on is a new verb, um, which I'm going to share with you. There's a book about it if you want to read more about it, but it's quite simple to tell you about it. When we talk to people who are anxious, they'll often say stuff like, I'm really stressed by the world economy. Okay? So they're saying the world economy is stressing me. And this is quite reasonable, but it's not quite accurate. Because it's not the world economy that's stressing them. It's them that's stressing themselves in the way that they're thinking about the world economy. Yeah? But the problem is, the, world, the way they've said it, the world economy is stressing me, means that until the world economy changes they're going to bound to be stressed. So what we have to do is kind of help them to rediscover what's going on here because this is called a passive statement. So they are passive to the fact the world economy is shit and that's going to cause them trouble.
0: It's happening today.
1: So So what we say is, okay, what we need to do is change this and the quickest way to do this is to use this new verb which is called the do. And The do is spelled D-U with a little circumflex on the top, a little hat on it as opposed to the normal do do with a D-O. So we say, look, what we'd like you to do is instead of saying, I have stress or I am stressed about the world economy, I'd like you to say, I am doing stress. I'm doing stress about it. And the do with the you says you're doing it. It's not your fault. You're not doing it on purpose. It's unconscious. It's unintentional. We're just running some kind of pattern. Okay, So you're not to blame for it. But it is you doing stress, which means... You can do something different. So just test this out, everyone listening, and you as well, Sebastian. If you, if you just say, I'm stressed about the world economy, as an example, say that, I'm stressed.
0: I'm stressed yeah. about the world economy.
1: And then change it to the do. Say, I am doing stress about the world economy.
0: I am doing stress about the world economy. And notice, how is that
1: different when you when you say it that way? What's different
0: about that? When you say, I do, it feels like it's something that's under your control. You're like, yeah, oh, it's
1: suddenly, yeah, suddenly there's, a new road opens up. If we have, I am stressed about the world economy, the road is single track. I have to wait until the world economy sorts itself out. But if we go, I'm doing stress about the world economy, it suddenly reminds us that that is an option, but there are other options we could invest in, which is how about being calm. You know, can't do anything about it anyway, might as well let it go. If we apply it to anywhere in your life, say I'm stressed about this party, I'm stressed about that, as soon as we say I'm doing stress about it, it makes us realise that, oh, this is something to do with us. It's not the party that's causing it, it's us. And if it's us, it's not a chance to blame ourselves or beat ourselves up. That's a misuse of the do. It's a chance for us to go, okay, so then what could I do to do calm about it? How could I shift? So there's a couple of tips on what you can do once you use the do. I mean, The do is very, very powerful because suddenly what it does is really, really highlight that you are involved in this, and therefore you can be powerful in what happens next. You can change the future rather than being passive where there's nothing you can do about it. So I really recommend using the do. It's transformed the hells of people across the world. It's a very, very powerful way of speaking. The idea of being responsible, you know, that we have some way we can respond that's different, different is not new. But what's new about the do is it gives you absolutely instant access. You suddenly go, oh, wait a minute. Another example is depression. You know, people have depression. But if you start talking about doing depression, have you ever heard people going, you have to excuse me today, I'm doing depression? Not much. you never hear that. <laughs> <laughs> because you'd have a very different conversation at that point, going, Okay, so what can we help you to, you know, so you don't do depression today? The, the whole world changes at that point. Mm-hmm. I, I'm doing low self esteem. I'm doing And what we find with a do, and remember, it's a do with a you, it's saying you're not to blame, it's, it's not your fault. But you could actually, with some help, move this forwards. And one of the simplest things to do with anxiety is anxiety relies upon triggering the sympathetic nervous system consistently, which is part of your nervous system, which is all about fighting beasts. Yeah, It triggers adrenaline, it triggers cortisol, it triggers noradrenaline, and, and dopamine as well. But it's very linked to the speed at which we talk. So if someone is stressed and anxious, what speed would they talk at?
0: Typically fast.
1: Yeah, fast, high pitch. They go, oh my God, oh my God,
0: oh my God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What am we going to do?
1: Yeah, faster and faster. What's interesting is that our breathing is linked to our speech because obviously we talk mainly on the out breath and therefore there's natural pauses in our speech because we're breathing in and out. If somebody is speaking very fast, their breathing increases in speed and we know already, don't we, that hyperventilation is part of the problem with anxiety. People start to breathe very fast, makes them go dizzy and stresses them. So first thing to do is to slow down the way that you talk and if you just listen to the sound of my voice as I start to speak slower, you'll notice it starts to make you feel calmer because Humans have mirror neurons, which means we like to connect up with people. If somebody is doing something, we will tend to follow. So as I speak slowly, your breathing will slow. As I can see on this video, I'm watching you. (laughs) The other thing that will happen is your internal voice will also slow down. And that's the really key thing. A lot of the anxiety is produced by our internal conversations. What am I going to do with this? How am I going to do this? Just notice that. Notice you're doing that. Again, it's not your fault, but it is your voice. So you're the best person placed to change it. The first thing you do is just slow down your internal voice. Don't even say anything different. Because what will happen is if you go, I'm so stressed about this. If you go, oh, I'm doing stress about this. As soon as you use the do and as soon as you change the speed of your voice, everything will start to settle. One of the things I often think about, if you're walking down an alley and you see in a city, in a strange city, and you see a frightened puppy, how would you talk to that frightened puppy? Would you go, oh my God! Or would you go, come here little father, you know, your voice would naturally try and convey to this animal who can't speak English, trying to convey, it's okay, it's fine. When you think about it, When we're stressed, is that what we say to ourselves? No, we don't. We go, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm so stressed. And possibly we might even beat ourselves up. What are you doing now? This is ridiculous. All those things only serve to make us more stressed. Instead, as soon as we notice we're doing that, start to shift down a gear, slow things down. And then what will happen is your breathing will change because your breathing is linked to your internal voice speed. Slow your internal voice speed down. Your breathing will slow down if you slow down your breathing your nervous system will start to quiet will start to settle and start to get back into balance and mm-hmm. there's hundreds of things you could do but those two things that do using the do to recognize when you are finding that you seem to be compelled into this passive victim-like place and then just starting to slow your voice down will make a huge
0: difference mm. thanks for that i think those are uh To great techniques that people can immediately start using. So I think that's very helpful. And when when they start using this, you know, this is not something you try once and hooray, hooray, no anxiety anymore for the rest of my life. This would, I assume, be something that you uh, do over and over again and that will start to have an effect. Why will that start having an effect?
1: The way the brain works is it's one of the things you need to learn about is neuroplasticity and if you don't know about it already go onto YouTube and search for my name Phil Parker and neuroplasticity neuro meaning nervous system plasticity like plasticine meaning change what they found they used to think the brain was something that once it was wired like a circuit board that's the way it was and what they found in the last 20-30 years is not the case at all the brain is constantly changing and developing so if we imagine a nervous a nervous pathway a nerve pathway is a bit like a road coming to a T junction okay so you could go left you could go right but imagine in in the nervous system there's actually a little gap okay so between the left and the right turning there's a bit of no road right? in order to cross this junction you use these things called neurotransmitters which you've probably heard about and the brain chooses which way it goes could go to the left, let's say it's to stress, or to the right, to calm. And it doesn't really care which way it goes. But what it will do is it will go the way that's most familiar. So if you use the pathway to stress a lot, then what will happen is that pathway will come faster and closer. So the little gap that I talked about between one nerve and the next one that it has to jump across, actually the gap gets smaller. So it's easier to transmit the signal across the most used pathway, the pathway of calm starts to drift away. You actually see physical changes in the brain. So the gap, say to the right, there's a bigger gap. It's more difficult to cross that. So if you've got yourself into a situation where your nervous system has become very, very familiar with stress, it will be really super easy to trigger the stress pathways. And that's why you'll need to do some work. That's why you'll need to notice every time you're being passive and use the do. You'll need to slow your voice down. you possibly need to do tapping or you need to think about nice thoughts. You'll need to do lots of stuff in order to tell your brain, I'm not going left anymore. I'm now turning right. And when you do that, an interesting thing happens. Neuroplasticity, remember, doesn't care whether you turn left or right. It will just say, I will make the pathway you use the most the strongest. So if you start to use the pathway towards relaxation and calm more and more, then what will happen is the connection to the stress pathway will start to fade. The gap will increase between that pathway and the stress pathway. And the gap between the pathway and the happiness and calm pathway will get smaller. And so more and more nerve pathways will start to develop into happiness, calm, and relaxation. But you've got a little bit of training going on that's taking you off to the left. You know, mm-hmm. Your brain has spent some time developing that. Just because you used it doesn't as I say it doesn't care. It just says if you're using that a lot, we'll use it. You know, we'll make that easier for you. So you've got a bit of untraining to do. But for most people with anxiety, you can look back a few years and and kind of go, I wasn't anxious then. That wasn't wasn't, wasn't my thing. This is something I've developed. We can see that at some point we learnt how to do this. If we learnt it, we can unlearn it. Right. And there's enough right. people out there who've done this to know this is true. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> So that's why you need that. that's why you need to practice because it, and it doesn't mean it's going to take a long time but it does mean you need to put some energy and effort into moving those pathways in the way that you want
0: them to be. Right. And in the beginning that might be more challenging and it, it, it may take a little bit of time before you can start seeing results. However, when you put in the work is where you get the rewards. So uh,
1: I think work. I think you can also expect to get results quite quickly. You know, if you're doing it if you're doing it properly and well You know, really saying to your nervous system, this is the way we're going. You should start to see changes because your anxiety is a result of the pathways you've been triggering. If you stop stop triggering those pathways, here's an example. Uh, Let's imagine, you know, you're really stressed about a forthcoming event and then an old friend rings you up you haven't spoken to for ages. And you go, oh, lovely. And you really get engaged in that conversation. What happens to your anxiety about the future event? It just disappears, doesn't it? Because now you're in this interesting conversation. When does that feeling come back? When does the anxiety come back? Either when you put the phone down or it can be in the middle of that conversation when you recognize, oh, my anxiety feels better now. And suddenly just thinking about it (laughs) brings it all back again. So there is work to do for sure. But if you do the work and to say, I'm going to move my brain in this direction, these are the pathways I'm going to activate, then you can see quick changes. And remember what I said about vicious circles? that as soon as you start to break those pathways of anxiety and start to get into calmness, then calmness starts to become normal and the anxiety doesn't have the control it used to have over you, the fear,
0: the fear of the fear. Mm -hmm. Good stuff. All right. So, um, I think that uh, we've covered just about the whole topic. Um, Mm Let's move into some of the solutions. So, Bill, you've talked about uh, a variety of tips and techniques and strategies already. Um, through your journey of learning about all of these and working with people and so on, what, if, if you had to pick one, what would be the most effective uh, tool or technique or strategy that, uh, that people can self-apply? perhaps that's already something that you have shared
1: i think those techniques i've talked about are probably the easiest to self-apply um i would say that out of all the things i've seen that is the most effective for the most people for most of the time it would be the lightning process um it's such an effective tool it takes three days to learn so it's kind of, you have to invest your time up front. Once you've learned you've got tools that allow you to really make change pretty much with anything that comes your way in your life. So in terms of, you know, really hitting all the bases, it's, it's a phenomenal technique. Now, if somebody comes to me and say they have a spider phobia and that's all they have, I don't do a three day training on the lightning press; I do a half an hour phobia cure because that's a much more effective thing. But if your issue is I've got anxiety, I have it in lots of places and that's, I would say, the best way to move forward a really, really effective way. Once you have it, then you can self-apply it. Um, but in terms of telling you everything about it, it takes three days to explain. Although I've talked about the do, that's part of the lightning process.
0: Right, okay. And, um, you know, uh, people listening to this, they can find more details on the show notes page, which will be com forward slash fill. Um I think that we're a bit short on time, so we're going to move already to the uh, final empowerment round. Phil, to empower people on their on their journey, I'm going to ask for uh, a few quick resources before we say our goodbye. So. Um, can you share with us a book or a movie or a biography or some kind of resource that's that's empowering and then share why you why you chose that one
1: okay um i'm going to choose one of my books which is a bit cheeky possibly but i think it's a really good thing to, to do if you're interested in resolving stress uh then the get the life you love now book is is a really good resource. It talks you through all the stuff that I've been talking about. So I'd very strongly recommend that. I'd also recommend the uh, free podcasts that I've done. If you're interested in NLP, uh, there's a whole range of stuff. If you like this podcast, you know how podcasts work, go and check on iTunes for the Essential NLP Podcast. There's loads of really good resources out there. If you like the kind of stuff I'm talking about, you might find that useful and interesting. Um, the other thing I mentioned as well is there's a video I've done on neuroplasticity, which I've been trying to explain without the use of visuals on this, this podcast. If you watch the video on YouTube, search for Phil Neuroplasticity. And I think you'll find that's really useful as well. Mm.
0: We, we will link that up in the show notes page as well. <laughs> so here we go. To finish it off, please leave us with your favorite quote and then your your website where we can find more about you
1: well i'm going to use a quote i'm going to get it from this book there's quite a few here i'm going to give you two then the one i was going to say was this one the Dalai Lama says remember not getting what you want is sometimes a wonderful stroke of luck mm. not getting what you want is sometimes a wonderful stroke of luck and if you read my book or go onto my website, you'll find out a bit about the story about how I severed my hand uh, when I was 21 and then ended up becoming a guitar player and playing with Eric Clapton. And the second quote I'd like to give you is, life is too short to not have a great one.
0: Love it. Thank you very much for, for everything, Phil. I think that was brilliant. Really appreciate it.
1: Love to speak to you, sir. I hope it's been useful for people and uh, thanks for your time.
0: Awesome. Now, when you want to overcome your social anxiety and feel calm and relaxed in social situations, I have a social confidence system, which is EFT-based. It's where you're guided via articles, audios, and subtitles, videos to overcome your social anxiety. You can find that as well as my one-on-one Skype coaching on my website, socialanxietysolutions.com. Thank you, and I look forward to connecting with you next week again. Bye for now.